Welcome to Scholastic Transmission, a college radio podcast, where we seek to provide you the tools to preserve and promote college radio. My name is Shane Garcia coming at you here today, not exactly with a college radio specific episode, because today we are celebrating 60 years of Doc and Mama Rock, Ralph and Judy Antonin here today on the podcast. Because as of June 9th, 2022, Doc and Mama Rock celebrated 60 years of marriage. 60 wonderful, neck-ringing years, depending on who you ask in the household. However, it is full of love, full of memories, full of wisdom, life lessons, ups and downs, you name it. But we're here today to celebrate the one-of-a-kind duo of Doc and Mama Rock. Doc and Mama, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, and I'm happy to be here. It's another beautiful day in beautiful downtown Millersville. It's a very nice day out there today, and it's a wonderful day to do this podcast, celebrating celebrating two people who I'm staring at over my computer screen and talking to through this microphone, but two people who have had such a tremendous impact on not just their families, but hundreds and thousands of students and just anybody you might run into throughout Pennsylvania for example, may, may I even say Florida, if you're going for some senior games, and maybe a stop in Indiana, or perhaps you're going out to see Dr. Rob McKenzie in California. <laughs> you never know who you might run into, who has been impacted by Doc and Mama Rock. And knowing the impact that you both have had, and knowing just how much you love each other, at least from what it appears, who knows what goes on behind the scenes, but I know I know, Mama always runs the show in the Antonin household, but... You just feel the love 24-7, no matter how in love you are with each other, no matter how much you are driving each other up a wall. I, I've seen that happen personally at a highway pickup where, uh, Doc, didn't the gas run out at the grill? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's one of the classic stories. That happened twice. <laughs> we, we used to have a highway pickup uh, and then also the end of the year picnic where we gave out our awards. And I always remember this. And Mama has a great ability to roll her eyes and give me the silent treatment like, you dumb bunny, why didn't you check that before we started? Because as you know, Doc is more spontaneity. Mama goes by a checklist where she has structured every minute. And of course, that, that gas would not have run out if Mama had been in charge of checking the gas. But Doc, I'll never forget this. Steve Entrican was the uh, station manager going out that time. And I had to take the whole uh, a whole uh, uh, propane tank and bring it up and get it replaced right in the middle of the picnic. <laughs> and then one other time was really funny. I had the same propane tank on the, I had a trailer at that time. So I didn't have to go up to the store and get a propane tank. I just switched propane tanks with my trailer. And I took a look at mama and said, see, I solved the problem easily. Mr. Creativity. Yes. Although I did get the roll of the eye and what I call the you stupid dumb bunny look. Why didn't you attend to that before we started this thing? The other thing he does at highway pickup is drop the, the wing nut that holds the sign up when we're not using it. And you drop the sign down that says that we're on the road. And more times than not, the wing nut falls in the grass and you got four people groveling around trying to find it. <laughs> yes. Yes. For some reason, I am a disaster waiting to happen. 
And somehow, some way, Mama has stayed with you for these past 60 years with that walking disaster. However, we're coming here today to talk about 60 years between the two of you and what really what your story is. And I know we've told bits and pieces of your story here along the way throughout this podcast, all the way back with episode number one, two, even three, even when we talked to you, Mama, with episode 10 exclusively, but also when we talked about college radio love stories as well and how you two had your influence and use your experiences to help out the kids when they had their own college radio love stories going on at the station. But college radio isn't the theme today. I want to ask you two to kick things off here. How did you both meet? Where does it all begin for Daka Mama? Well, it all started at a YMCA dance when uh, I got fortified by uh, splitting two quarts of beer with three of my friends. And I got the courage to ask Mama to dance. I, you know, I don't know why I did that. It, it was a happening spontaneity. She was standing, I never forget, it, on the opposite side of the wall. And I said, I'm going to go ask that girl to dance. And that's where it all started. Now, I don't know where, where she thinks it started, but that's where it started with me. Well, I think it started a year before for me. I, I had liked him as an athlete. I had been to his games. I think we've told this before. I was in the biology in high school <clears throat> classroom, and I saw that they misspelled his name on the honor roll on the chalkboard. So I went up there and changed it. So that was probably my junior year. And so I had been looking at him for a while, but uh, we just never had classes that were um, together. So he never met me and I never really spoke to him. And of course, I had had my problems with women. I never understood them. Uh, quite frankly, Shane, I still don't understand them. And uh, I, I <laughs> classic dateline, I was really frustrated because as class president, I knew I had to go to dances and attend events. And I knew I had to take a young lady with me. So my pickup line to mama was after we had gone a couple of dates, I guess, I said, uh, would you be my date for senior year so I don't have to deal with women? I mean, at, I, I had really, really had it with cheerleaders who were named Honey and Leslie and all that kind of stuff. And I said, I just really, I really rather sleep with my basketball. I want to sleep with my basketball because I like my basketball and it doesn't talk back and it doesn't cause me any problems, except when it doesn't go in the hoop. So I acted nonchalant and I said sure you know I had been dating some guys over the summer and I guess it was probably the end of September when he asked if I would be his date for September for the for the senior year so I said sure that's okay yeah and that led us to getting married in my junior year at Tufts University uh, where we had our own apartment and we had our own fraternity and sorority many funny stories there because all our uh, fraternity brothers uh, we had an apartment. They used to come over our house to party. And I'll never forget it. We had one Christmas party. Uh, this is in my senior year. And we had all the brothers over. And uh, they got uh, a little inebriated, Shane. And uh, they knocked over my Christmas tree, my first Christmas tree, and broke some of my grandmother's decorations. Oh, God. Which are irreplaceable. And uh, I was really upset because one of the things I remember, two of my fraternity brothers were sailing the bathtub. 
uh, Frank Manganaro and Roger Coutant. Roger was sitting in the tub. He's about six, six uh, in height, and he's laying down sitting in the tub. Frank Manganaro is standing in the front of the tub with his hand over his head, peering out like, like he's sailing. I said, what the hell are you two guys doing? They said, oh, we're sailing a ship. So it was clear they had had too much to drink, too. But the good news did turn out the fraternity brothers felt a little guilty. And I don't remember if I kicked them out of the house. I said, hey, that's it. The party's over. But the next day, there they were with a brand new Christmas tree with brand new ornaments to replace the Christmas tree they had destroyed in our apartment. Mama, what was your reaction to all of that? Well, for a while, I was in the bathtub, too. <laughs> well, Mama sort of became everybody's, uh, uh, I don't know what you'd call it. All the brothers were always over the house, and Mama's was always there getting ready. And and we just had a great time. Uh, she was the only female amongst all these guys. And I guess she handled it pretty well because she never stopped us from having parties. We used to have the Boston Celtics parties at 11 at night. I don't know if you remember, the Celtics were very good in those days. And they always wound up playing the Los Angeles Lakers. So not like uh, it's even worse than it was today where the game started late from L.A. So 11 o'clock at night, I had a TV and all my Celtics fraternity brothers would come over and we watched TV till about 2, 1.32 in the morning. <laughs> and I'd go to work the next day. Yeah, and Mama would have to go to work. So, I mean, so. 45-minute commute. Yeah. And so she had to endure all that. So she endured all my fraternity brothers and all our shenanigans uh, during our undergraduate years at Tufts. One time we were getting ready for a party at the fraternity house and some of the kids didn't have cars. So we had to go to the liquor store to pick up supplies. And so we're driving along quite close to the fraternity house and three or four kids at the stop sign ran across in front of the car. So we waited for them. Then we started to go, I started to drive and a younger child who couldn't keep up with the kids started to cross the street and ran right into the side of my car. So I you know, slammed my foot on the brake and we both looked at each other. Oh my God, what happened? And Gus, let's call him Gus. I can't remember who it was. He goes, oh my God, check the back, see if the bottles are broken. You know? <laughs> because <laughs> we had just picked up everything but the child was fine um and we we did have to go through insurance and everything else because i wanted to report it in case in case something had happened but the child was okay she was headed to the playground but i just called um talked to one of the older ones and got the name and address and everything but it worked out fine there was no no problem but the biggest thing was did anything break not the kid. Yeah. Did we lose any beer? Heaven forbid we lost some beer. Most of it was like whiskey and gin. Yeah. We, were, yeah. Those were the days. Uh, I wouldn't, we were not Animal House, but no. we do had some wild parties down in the basement of that house. Wild parties. Now, love can have a powerful effect on anyone. It doesn't have to be two people, it can just be one person. But what made you two fall in love with each other? I tell you point blank, and this is really weird. There's a song, I love how your eyes close whenever you kiss me. I used to love when I gave mama a kiss to watch her eyes close. 
I don't know why. That was just sort of a real turn on for me. That must mean he never kissed another girl before. Because <laughs> she might have been the first. Yeah, I, I, I mean, that was when I knew it was real. I mean, how do you describe love? That's a philosophical discussion you can't really get into. Uh, I also loved her spunkiness. She didn't take no shit from anybody and still doesn't take, as you know, Shane, is willing to speak her mind and tell anybody anything. I mean, you know of many instances where you've seen that one, right? Yep. I used to visit while he was at college. <clears throat> I was 40 miles at my hometown. So I'd visit him on the weekend. I'd go to his parents' house Sunday night to let him know how things were going in Boston and that I had visited him. And I did things that his father, um, not shocked him, but things like I went shopping in Boston. Would you buy a couple pair of shoes? Why'd you buy two pair of shoes? Because I can, you know. And his father really liked, as Doc calls it, the spunkiness. Because I wasn't, I wasn't a, oh, what do they call them? Layovers, turnovers, pushover. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't a pushover at the yeah. time. You didn't get any, I mean, mama would tell you exactly what she thought. And because uh, uh, she was a special ed teacher, she was used to being in control of the situation. So I guess it's, I, I, I wouldn't call her a control freak, but she did manage to make the system uh, revolve around her uh, more than the revolve around the other person. So mama, what made you fall in love with Doc? Um. I like that he wasn't, I want to say a hot dog. He wasn't one of those jocks. You know, we had two or three of the jocks that they wanted you to know that they were great in their sport, but he was a low key. For, in fact, I think he can't, came out of his shell a little bit. As we got married, um, he tried new things. Um, I learned more about him that I, of course, obviously didn't know in the beginning. In fact, I learned that he doesn't like heights. That was a couple of bad experiences, hiking and finding out we're on top of a of a cliff that he's not going to go across. So, or the Eiffel Tower, he goes up three steps on the platform and he's done. <laughs> or the Empire State Building, yeah. where where I we got up to the the top level of the Empire State Building. I took two steps out of the elevator and took two steps right back in. I cannot look down. I cannot look down. And that was before all the safety controls that they have now. So it's like a waist high when you come out. Now, I have to ask you, too, before we get into marriage, what was your most memorable pre-wedding date that you two had? Boy, that's an interesting pre-wedding. Pre-wedding. I'm going to tell you one I probably shouldn't tell you. But I don't know if you remember, parking was big back in the 50s. Have you ever heard of parking, oh, Shane? Sure. You might have to explain it, Doc, not just for me, but for other people. Yeah, parking was where you'd go with your car and you'd go up to the, uh, some place that was dark and you'd park. You'd kiss and hug and, uh, you, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, one time I decided to take the car and put it beside a pavilion, you know, so we'd be hidden. And lo and behold, I got stuck in the mud. And I had to go to a filling station and explain to the guy how that came to pull us out, why I was parked in the mud behind a pavilion at 1130 at night. <laughs> he towed us out. He towed us out, just gave us a smile and didn't even charge us. Oh, that's nice. He, he must have he done some parking in his life. <laughs> Mama, do you have one that sticks out to you? Uh, I had two or three friends and we 
we could find mischief. So one time this girl had her dad's truck. He was an electrician and had a spotlight on the side that you could. So we drive through these parks and go looking for couples in their cars and we get a big spotlight on them. You know? So we used to drive around. We had no idea who they were. <laughs> one time we got through the park and we finally got to Dairy Queen when we were all done around 9.30. And we looked, turned around and looked in the back and I said, wait a minute. I couldn't see out that back window before one of the tool boxes of his, her father, a tool chest was gone. It had slid off the back. So we had to go back to the park and, and it had fallen down, <clears throat> it fallen off the truck, but it also had spilled some of the tools. So there we were in the dark and we both were scared picking up all these tools after we put the trunk, the, yeah, the trunk, back into the truck. So we didn't do it often after that. <laughs> that was called bushwhacking. Bushwhacking. You ever hear the word bushwhacking? Oh yes. Oh yes. That's when you, when you, when you say gotcha. So let's get into the big day. What was your wedding day like? And how did you two celebrate? Not just that day, but say for your honeymoon, did you go on a honeymoon? Yes, we did. We had a, a June 9th, uh, a course of 1962. And we went on a honeymoon of all places, which was also traditional, Niagara Falls. But before we got to Niagara Falls, we had to stop off at Cooperstown and visit the Baseball Hall of Fame, which Mama to this day says, always used to say when we always said, how come all roads lead to Cooperstown? <laughs> Anytime we'd go to New England, where we're from, we'd somehow wind up in Cooperstown. Our kids thought that was the way to Grandpa's house. Yeah. But it always was a way to go, and you know where, to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Our, our wedding was very low-key. Um, there was no liquor or anything involved. We got married in a Baptist, no congregational church. And the reception was downstairs, catered by the church. And then we left. Um, they threw the rice, and we left. In fact, we came back because we thought we'd have to have our marriage certificate. And I, I guess I had left it with my parents. So we drove all the way back from maybe 10 miles away to be afraid that the hotel would ask for a marriage certificate. Yeah, we were pretty straight-laced kids, even though we did do some mischief. We were 20? <laughs> yeah, we were 23 and 22. I was, I'm, a, I'm 10 months older than Mama. I always said I like younger women, Shane. He had a bet with his fraternity brothers that they had a bet that he would not make it out of Massachusetts, our honeymoon night, and we made it to New York State. Yeah, I got across the state line, and I drove right into a motel. <laughs> Did you win anything from that bet? We went looking for it. Yeah, I won the bet, and, and uh, on a couple of times, we have gone back on what I call nostalgia tour, and I know exactly where that hotel was. It's gone. There's a there's a supermarket or a store there right now. A so mini-mart. A mini-mart or something, so it's... Uh, I, uh, I always wanted to take a picture of the old hotel, but it, it, it has been torn down a long time ago. And then we went to Niagara Falls, did the typical tour stuff. Yeah, we were traditional kids of the 50s. And then, of course, not too long after that, you started up a family. What experience is that like? And I mean, I'm sure raising a family has certainly changed within these past 60 years compared to what it was back then. What was that like for the both of you being parents? 
Well, we had two children. Eric, of course, was the boy born second. Karen was born first. There's no preparation. There's no course to becoming a parent. You just have to, I mean, the only model do you have are your parents. I mean, that's the only thing you've ever known. So it, it was a learning experience. And I'm going to tell you point blankly, young ladies are a lot different to raise than, uh, than boys. Uh, I probably will get in trouble for saying this, but mama can correct it. Uh, the boy is easy to raise. The girl, that was a little more difficult. One thing I think that we never realized once we had our first child was a surprise, but that was fine. We had been married over a year. We were very poor. <laughs> we, you know, graduate living. Um, I took in typing for different, well, for like the president of the Speech and Hearing Association. I typed theses for people. Um, I typed for a nun who represented the Pope in, for uh, as, as being a sister. And um, because our daughter was a good sleeper and everything, it worked out fine. But Doc only got paid twice a year. Not so, a scholarship, an NDA fellowship. So if your car breaks down and needs a new transmission in March and you don't get paid till August. So we bought food at um, a place that was identified. Sometimes there were no labels on whether they were peaches or peas or carrots. We had no idea. Um, we went to Goodwill. And that's how we bought a crib and a carriage, um, things like that. We did find a way to get paid or have reduced rent um, because there was a, a fourplex. And so we were sort of like the managers so no one could just call the realty company if there was a problem. They had to go through us. So we had like reduced rent then. But it, it, was, a, it was a lot of tough time. You don't go out and buy new clothes. Yeah, this was during University of Minnesota when I got my PhD before I moved to Case Western. So we, we knew what it was to make, uh, make ends meet on a minimal budget. Yeah, when my mom's, my brother was, my half brother was born... He was six months old when we got married. So my mother, after we had a child, she would keep, as my brother outgrew his clothing, my mother would send us clothes from my brother because she didn't plan on having any more children. But, it, you know, that supplemented a lot. It helped. And I know today you two have always stressed to me, not just me, but other people, about how, especially you, Doc, came from nothing. And then, of course, starting out, you were very poor. But yeah. And of course, I had my first job when I left University of Minnesota with my degree was at Case Western. And I thought I was a millionaire because I was now making, can you believe this, $12,000 a year, Shane? Well, back then, Doc. Yeah, that was a livable wage. And we we had we rented a duplex because I taught at Case Western after leaving Minnesota. And for five years, uh, I was there and my salary got up to like 15000 and then, of course, because I was a troublemaker, they got rid of me at Case Western, which led me to coming to uh, Millersville uh, with a job. And I thought, yeah, wow, the union had just started. I went from like, uh, I think it was 12500 when I left Case Western up to 17000 when I joined Millersville. And they had the union contracts kept coming in and bringing in more money. I was well into the 20000s. Again, wow, we're millionaires. We're millionaires compared to where we were. But we still rented a house. Yeah. We, we rented the house that we... Rent to buy, I guess it was called. Yeah. And we rented it with the option of buying. 
And lo and behold, after I came to Millersville, uh, I bought this house about a year later and struggled to get the down payment, had to borrow money from my father, who I paid back the entire amount until uh, a tragic fire burnt the house down in 88 and he canceled the payback. And I had to take out a second mortgage and all that kind of stuff. But in the meantime, I, I, my father had taught me how to invest money. And I found out about something called tax shelters. So that I was always tax sheltering money, which is a way of deferring taxes. So that kept building and building and building. And because I had taught five years at Case Weston, I was also had some money saved up for retirement from there that I kept in there. So uh, with the help of a good financial planner and some wisdom on my part, we wound up being at a very, very good level uh, later in life because I had sheltered so much money. Mama had sheltered so much money that we are living the, in quotes, good life today. And that was one of the questions that I really wanted to ask you. How do you build that financial security over years upon years, decade after decade? That is called tax sheltering. But if you don't, we, we told our son when he first got his first job right out of college, if you don't ever get the money, if you start out by putting aside X amount of your check, you, you don't feel you're missing anything. So immediately when he started, he would shelter a certain amount or put away $40 a paycheck, who knows what it was, but you just never saw that money. And so you're not missing it. Yeah. And it is also not taxed until you take it out, which you have to do later in life. After 72, you can't shelter anymore. you got to start taking out the money that you sheltered. And that's where you pay taxes. And uh, of course, I have and Mama and I have given much money back to Millersville because if we don't get the money and Millersville does, then it doesn't get taxed. And that's how we have been able to create eight scholarships and give money to sports teams, which I value greatly. I value, I value, as you know, Shane, extracurricular activities as being like the radio station, the sports teams, being in some ways more valuable to life lessons than classrooms. Now, a little bit back there, you had brought up the unfortunate and tragic experience of losing your house back in the 1980s. And I can only imagine just how heart-wrenching that was for the both of you. Along that line, what have been some of the more difficult experiences that you two have gone through together? That had to be the most difficult. I mean, think of your house burning down just before Christmas. It's like, your, it's like a death of a family member. Yeah. And you and 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 basically, if mama hadn't woken me up, I probably would have died in that fire because I, I was a strong sleeper and she uh, had to wake me up and I crawled out on my hands and knees. And uh, uh, obviously it was the most traumatic thing. If a marriage can survive a house fire, it can survive anything. And as you know, it was started by two gerbils kicking wood shavings into a space heater which ignited a curtain, which ignited the hole downstairs, which then ignited the whole house. That is absolutely unbelievable. But we lived, luckily it was Christmas and there were no students on campus and the art department, the custodial staff and other people within three days had us in a house on campus that they had, I guess it had been purchased in October and they totally went to JCPenney and bought enough linens, towels, um, household things that we spent Christmas in this house and it looked like we had lived there. 
Wow. We did have a power outage. And so I called a friend of mine and I said, Barbara, where were the candles? Because so many of my teaching friends had come and put together the computer table or the computer desk or put away all the dishes and everything. I had no idea where things were. I continued to work up until the end um, when it was Christmas break. And so power went out and I had no idea if we had candles or flashlights. So I had to call a friend and she's, oh, they're above the stove on the left. But we did have four Christmas trees donated by the Lancaster Roadrunners, by the custodians, by the elementary school where I taught. And then I guess we had our own. Yeah, we had our own. (laughs) So we had four trees, but we had like a formal living room and a regular living room and a dining room. So there was a lot of room. It was bigger than the house that burned down. Now, how do you rally after something like that? How do you build yourself back up again in your entire family after such an, an unspeakable tragedy? You just have to force it to go on. I mean, it was it was sad. I mean, it was probably the saddest day of my life. Seeing my Christmas, they, we managed to salvage the presents that were upstairs. They were all burnt, all smoke. Or floating because you have about six or eight inches of water um, on the first floor. And so under the Christmas tree, things are just floating around the living room. And what I did was I threw myself back into my work. I mean, I was running the Undecided program and I was advising the radio station. And I just said, I, I, in order to forget, get it out of your mind, I totally immersed myself into going back to work. And, and we're the type of people that try to find humor, even, even in sad times, let's say. Um, one instance was the night of the fire. We evacuated the house, obviously, and they were going to, you know, a volunteer fire company would be coming over. And so an off-duty policeman came running up. He said, get the cars out of the driveway. You've got to lay down hoses. we got to do this. And our son says, points to the house and says, go get the keys. <laughs> yeah, so The house was totally engulfed at that Right. Time. <laughs> and yeah, they wouldn't let us in. And another time when I was teaching, in January, I came back and I had a lot of people donate clothing, some really good clothing that I couldn't afford. <clears throat> so I was wearing a nice suit one day and someone says, oh, oh, I love that red suit. And I said, oh, it's not yours. <laughs> So, you know, if you don't do that, you cry. Yeah. You know, if you don't laugh, you cry. And we did a lot of crying. Nighttime was worse because, like, especially when we lived in the other house for six months, we didn't know what we were going to do. And we did rebuild the house within six months, but we didn't have enough insurance. And we did a lot of people donated money and it was sent to the bank in Millersville. And we had no access to it unless we had a need for it. So I mean, it's not like we could just ask for the money when we wanted to. But we did use some of that to, again, furnish the new house. Yeah. And of course, um, Millersville, I've always said this. Uh, I, I really get a little angry with professors who say that I'm not paid enough. I got played, paid good money to teach at Millersville. And I managed to save a lot of money, put it attached off to a lot of money. So I can only say I love Millersville and I am a Marotta. And of course, I married a Marotta. Mama got both her degrees here. 
because uh, she finally got to finish up her bachelor's and her master's and some credits beyond uh, by going to Millersville. So we owe a lot to Millersville, both during the fire, during my salaries that I got paid, and having a job that I really loved because I was helping students. I think one thing that bonds Mama and I is uh, we have a goal to make. I really feel great when I see a student succeed. I don't know if you know that, Shane. I mean, I really feel good when I when a kid comes back that I help, that he thanks me or something like that. Not because I want that, but because that makes me know that I did my job. And my job was to teach life and help students succeed. Mama, of course, was a special ed teacher. I got to go to some of her field trips and I said, man, I always admired her because she could do a job. I would have no patience working with special children. That has to be the toughest job in the world. Today, today we just got a um, text from um, two young ladies that have graduated from Millicent and now are in graduate programs, once at NYU and once in South Carolina. And I just heard from them. We sponsored them from Australia for four years for them to live here. They had a host family that took care of them, but it was our funding that got them here. In fact, right now we have a South African and a Venezuelan um, that we're helping to sponsor to live here in Millersville. And these ladies just wrote to me and we wanna get back together. One of them is going back to Australia for a couple of weeks during spring break coming up or summer break. And the other one is 10 minutes from the shore. She's in oceanography and working for the South Carolina Department of Resources as an intern. But it's so great to hear from these ladies that they just knew us as Doc and Mama. They didn't you know, know us any other way. And um, it was it was just fun just to see them at basketball games and touch base with them. And even now, it's been two years since they've been gone. But um, it's just nice to see the success. They came here not knowing what they were going to do. And one's on the way to become a, a surgeon in neuromedicine. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's saying, you know, you know how much I have stressed student affairs in WIXQ, right? Yep. And that's where I got my greatest satisfaction. Not from teaching methods of research, not from teaching statistics, not from teaching ed psych. I think I may have tossed it up, taught another course in there. But I, to this day, when a, when a WISQ kid comes back, and you know there's many success stories, we've talked about it. That makes me feel like, great. I did my teaching. I did my job. I have to ask you. How have you both been able to provide for one another? Not in terms of money, I'm not thinking about that, but in terms of experiences and the love and the care that you've had for one another. I think, I was just telling mama the other day, so, so, sometimes things come out of my mouth that probably shouldn't, right, Shane? Yeah. You've seen that happen many times. Too many to count. And I was sitting in the doctor's office the other day because I had, just been diagnosed with a blood clot, which turns out not to be as bad. And I'm, I'm just on some pills the rest of my life. And mama's sitting opposite me because I take her with me to make sure that I don't screw this up. You know, every time I went this, I go to the doctor with something like this, mama's there to help. And I'm looking over at her and I'm saying to myself, this is going to sound really bad. Man, she's a cute looking 81 year old woman. Uh, you know what I mean? What's bad about that? Now, now, wait a minute. 
Then I make the next statement. You know how I, I, I always thought I was making a good statement, then I destroy it, right? <laughs> I said, I look at all those women when I go swimming at the Y, and they look like really old. They're gray and fat and all that kind of stuff. And I said to Mama, you don't look like that. You look beautiful. That wasn't bad. <laughs> no, but I mean, I did dump on a lot of women in the pool. But I said, you know, I didn't I say, look, they got gray hair, they got bellies. They got and, and my response was, you should see him in the locker room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. How do I even respond to that? <laughs> well, they should. They should. I mean. I haven't. I don't want to see them in the locker room. <laughs> I know that sounds bad, but that's. I mean, Mama has aged beautifully, and not that in physical attraction. There's more to life than physical attraction. You know what I mean? There's more of a core set of values that you have for each other. That I mean, we have a lot of things in common. We do cross country together. We do uh, basketball, volleyball. She's the timer. I'm the announcer. Uh, we are in the Hall of Fame at Millersville. Uh, uh, she, no, she, she owns the natatorium. You've heard of the Antonin natatorium. Well, that's Mama's natatorium in the Antonin lobby. That's, in quotes, my lobby. Millersville has been both good to both of us because it paid me well, had a great job. Mama got both her degrees there, and we've been able to give back through scholarships and money to academic, uh, athletic programs, which, as you know, I value greatly extracurricular, just like we have a scholarship at WISQ, right? Yep, that's right. Because to me, that's that's a leadership scholarship, and that has worked out wonderful, where uh, the people who have won that scholarship have gone on to leadership roles in WISQ, of course, started by the work of a guy by the name of Eric Goodmanson, who I submitted for that Scripps Howard Award, and we got to go to Washington. So our life has been fulfilled, and a lot of the fulfilling has to do with I've seen mama, kids come back to mama and thank her. And she looks at them like, who are you? And she says, don't you remember me? I was your student back in yada, yada, yada. Yeah, I get invited to weddings or um, college graduation, some of my former students. And that's what it means to be a teacher, Shane. That's what teaching is all about. Teaching kids, as I say in WISQ case, to grow up, to become responsible adults. I think this might play a part in my next question here that I have for you. What has kept Doc and Mama Rock young over these past 60 years? I'll get, make a point blank. WIXQ. Yeah, because Andrew Wheeler said that you suck the youth out of everybody there, every single student. <laughs> well, they provide me with the reason to go on because I really don't like old people. <laughs> I mean, that sounds weird. Old people are tough to deal with. You know what I mean? Young people are just dumb and stupid sometimes, and you can deal with that because you, they, 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 I hope, listen to some of my advice, Shane. Have you ever listened to any of my advice? Every single day I talk to you, Doc. Does any of it make sense? Absolutely, and that's no bullshit either. <laughs> what about you, Mama? What, what keeps you young? What keeps you radiant and beautiful? Um, um, I would have to say exercise. So I think both of us have been very involved in athletics. I've been a tomboy and then an, an athlete, and he's been an athlete. And we don't overdo it or anything, but our, our days are, are, are work around our exercise program, whether it's swimming or cornhole or shuffleboard or golf. Uh, pickleball used to be one of our sports. And you don't go overboard, but 
you just keep your heart rate going, make sure your pulse is at 60 and not 85, things like that. And, and I, I would love to say that we eat very well ah. and we don't, I don't have fruits and vegetables. I know are so important to your body and it's not something that I eat three times a day. Yeah, we go out to eat five days a week and we cook only two days a week. That's also a secret. So we don't run the dishwasher much. But we <laughs> never overeat. We never have sweets around the house all the time like people do. We just we just don't. We just do without. Yeah, exercise is crucial. Exercise is, I mean, I, I get really grumpy when I can't exercise either in the pool or on the recumbent bike. So uh, I, I, ha I have to exercise Eating, don't eat the best of foods, but I do eat a lot of vegetables and I do try to eat fruit. But I do eat a lot of junk too, which is unfortunate. As we start to wrap things up here, I have to ask you, what are some of your favorite, whether it's lighthearted, some really crazy happening that occurred, what are some of your favorite memories or moments that you've shared together over these past 60 years? Well, there are many things. I mean, the greatest moment just happened 18 months ago when we had a birth of our great grandson, Finn Antonin, who is totally spoiled. We were sending him a present every month. He, he celebrated and, and the name Antonin will live on. So uh, that clearly is, we're gonna go out to see him uh, in a couple of weeks. And, and that, was, that made us go on. The pandemic was very tough on me, as you know, Shane, because I'm a people person and we got shut off from people. And Finn was born and came along and sort of saved us in the pandemic. I don't know if we saved Mama or what, but that's that was one of the great things. Well, we just sent a package yesterday, one today. We found out he loves to play with pretend credit cards and he loves wallets. So we went to Roots and scoured around and we found, and he loves blue. We found a little coin purse and we also found a Velcro wallet and we put our pictures in it and mail them off to him, oh. um, even though we're going to see him shortly. But then I found like an old membership for American Red Cross and one other. He thinks they're credit cards. You know, he's very young, but he just sees his parents with cards. So we put that together. But the other thing I think um, in, in our marriage, you know, maybe we've had some ups and downs, maybe three of them, but humor. Sometimes we just do such stupid things. <laughs> Or find ourselves in a stupid situation and all you can do is laugh about it. Yep. You know? I mean, humor is the main ingredient to a marriage. You gotta be able to look back on things. And even when it happens, you gotta say, you gotta be able to laugh about it. I mean, as you get older, you do more dumb things. There is a cartoon called Pickles that Mama and I both read, and it describes us to a T. It describes two old people to a T. What do you wish you would have known when you got married? Hmm. Huh. I don't know. I think the beauty of a marriage is that you learn as you grow older and you discover new things. And so I don't think I really would have wanted to know all the things because it was the fun of discovery and the fun of, of uh, doing things together. And, and mama helped me tremendously with music. I don't know if I've ever told you this. Without her set of 45s, right, Shane? God, Doc. <laughs> she would have, she would have not, I mean, I knew nothing. She brought me into Broadway shows. She, I mean, she took me to New York City. 
I mean, she introduced me to a, 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 a life of music, both popular and show tunes, that I would never would have experienced without her. I was in a singing group of retired teachers, and he ended up being the MC and doing a lot of silly things because as a singer, you just can't sing your eight songs. You need to have a vocal break. And so he would be our vocal break, um, pretending to be Arthur Godfrey playing a ukulele, or I don't know. Tiny Tim. I was Tiny Tim with a ukulele was. Just to give us a break, but. Making a total fool of myself by enjoying every minute of it. And a lot of it, obviously, if you go to old older people, they just, it doesn't take much to get a lot of laughter out of them. If you had to do it all over again, what would you change? Would, would you change anything or keep it all the same? I don't, think, I, I don't think I'd change anything because, as you know, I like spontaneity. And how do you make spontaneity happen if you plan it? You can't plan spontaneity. So we have had a lot of laughs. We have gone through some tough times, the fire. But we've always jumped back on our feet and persevered uh, with a finished word. Shane, have I ever mentioned the word sisu to you? I think I might have heard that before, but do you want to say it for the people who don't know it like I do? Yeah, the Finnish culture, the Finnish people are very sad, but they've been voted the most happy people on earth. I don't, still don't understand that. They have a term, and you can look this up, that describes their culture. It's called SISU, S-I-S-U. Look it up on your uh, dictionary or wherever. And it's what we call grit guts and determination. When all things go bad, you just keep pushing and pushing. Mama calls it pig-headed stubbornness. <laughs> and that's what sustains me, is my Finnish ancestry and Sisu. Mama? One other thing, I do things differently than he was brought up. Um, my father was a very open person. Um, so it might be, I decide I'm gonna get a car. So I go buy a car. <laughs> And two months later, I say to him, I can't bond with this car. I have to get rid of it. And he never goes nuts. You know, one, it's my money and it's my decision. And he's, how do you bond with the car? I don't know, but I can't bond with this car. And he accepts it, you know, and he would just say, well, that's her. She can't bond with the car. I remember one day you had just gotten a brand new car. I can't remember which one it was. And you brought it out to the station. And that's when Doc told that to us kids for the first time that you weren't bonding correctly with your car. And we wanted to come out and see what car you got so you could properly bond with it. <laughs> yeah. But to this day, I remember I said I don't totally understand women. That's one thing I don't understand. How the hell do you bond with a car? To me, a car is transportation. Four wheels, a steering wheel that goes from place A to place B. But I want to enjoy it. Yeah. And so she will decal it and everything. The funny story about that is she has her initials on the left-hand side of the, on her door, right? Right. On her new truck. She's got a uh, brand new truck. And I once asked her, kid, why did you put my initials on the other side of the door? And she said, it's not your door. It's not your door. <laughs> I don't even own the door. <laughs> oh, that, that always gets a kick out of me. <laughs> And I bought a Jeep Wrangler because I kept driving by it at this gas station in Millersville. And finally, one day on my run, I stopped and I said to him, I asked him about it. And he took me for a ride later that day. And I 
signed, I signed it and I already had another car, but I knew I was going to be retiring. And I said, but can I give myself for 30 years of teaching? I can buy myself a Jeep Wrangler. And I did. Yeah. As she told, as she always says, why'd you, I, if I ever say, why'd you do that? She says, cause I can. <laughs> and I did. And she does. So I have one last question here for you two today. And some people might think I might ask you, what are the secrets for a successful marriage? Or what do you like the most about each other? Whatever. But I'm going to kind of pull from our, our last question that I typically do. And not like why you should support college radio or anything like that. But looking back on your marriage, looking back on how you were at the start of it all, before you were even together as Doc was in love with his basketball and Mama was keeping a keen eye out for Doc Rock, for a young Doc Rock, I should say. But all through the ups and downs that you two had, the the impact you've had on hundreds of kids, whether or not it was at Millersville or through the special ed role that you had, Mama, as a teacher, even the scholarships you created or the six decades you have spent building and crafting an influencing the college radio station WIXQ. But also, even what you have done as a family, parents, grandparents, now great-grandparents, community members, key community members. Heck, you even have a t-shirt printed up of you now where it's a wanted poster that says, wanted Doc and Mama rock those oldies but goodies. I have mine. And I've got mine. All 11 that you purchased, Doc. Yes, I did. (laughs) Looking back on everything whether it's together or as individuals after 60 years and over 80 years of life what would you like your legacy to be i'm just going to say one thing on my being cremated and just dispersed uh i just want people to say he cared about people he helped people in some time in some cases succeeded sometimes he failed but his primary purpose in life was to help people grow. And I, I think of, you know, I don't, I don't bleed black and gold, but I'm very proud to be an alum of Millersville University. They got me my job with my education and I've met so many, so many people that I'll, I'll, I'll love for the rest of my life. And that was from the university connection. Yep. We are. And also, I want to be remembered. I once was called Mr. Millersville. I don't know if you remember reading that one. I want to be remembered as Mr. Millersville, who cared greatly, not only about the college, but the community and uh, tried to support the little little town of Millersville. Millersville is very special to me. What would you like your legacy to be together? (sighs) Well, we we, I think we both help many organizations, you know, together. Yeah, and, and I I think that's a tough one, Shane, because it's it's very personal. I think it's important that we try to tell people in this generation where divorce is so common and people just break up, you gotta make marriage work. It's hard work. It's a lot of give and take. And there are good times, there are bad times, but you don't walk away from it. You persevere, you have Sisu, and you keep it going like we did for over 60 years, because most people don't realize we've dated since Columbus Day weekend, 
of October 1958. Can you believe that, Shane? 42 plus 22, we're really at 64 years, not 60 years. Doc and Mama Rock, thank you so much for sitting down here today to talk about your life together, life as individuals, and the impact you have had not just on people like myself, the student, but your family, the community members, and anybody who has ever connected with you. I'm so glad that I could tell your story here today on Scholastic Transmission. Thank you, Shane. And re Thank you. remember who loves you, Shane. Doc and Mama do. You got it. Now, I do have to say here, because life is certainly getting very, very hectic for all three of us, that we are going to be putting a little bit of a pause on Scholastic Transmission. I'm not too sure how long that pause is going to last, because I'm sure I know we both have this bug doc, you and I, as the host, where we love sitting down and connecting with the people and telling their college radio story. However, this summer is going to be very much filled with a lot of activities for all three of us. So I think it's time that we pump the brakes a little bit <laughs> to use to use that term that I like saying a lot here when we go on our breaks to come back for a part two and come back a little bit down the road with hopefully some more stories about our college radio station, WIXQ, but more importantly, what we can give you to preserve and promote the medium itself. And I know, Doc, you never imagined that we would be going on for over 60-plus episodes. You got it. I was looking at 25 because Mama said, do you even know what a podcast is? I have no idea, but Shane's going to help me find out. I'll never forget, Mama, where we sat down in the basement coming up with this idea, and you had me show Doc what a podcast was, send him different stuff. We were coming up with different concepts behind the thing, and you, you were convinced, I, I think, that Doc didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> Doc didn't know what he was doing. I didn't know what I was doing, Shane. I did so many things, as you know, spontaneity. And Mama says, do you know what you're doing? I said, no, but I think I'll, do, I'll know how, uh, uh, when I get there. But never did I imagine when you first came with me with this idea that we would talk to the people that we've had, the impact that we've had in reaching people in over um, – 40 different states and, and 15 countries around the globe, the people who have reached out to us and have commented about how much they love the podcast. It's been unreal to see the reach that we've had, whether or not it's at our station or, for example, WIUP, the advisor of WIUP, Zach Stingle, reached out to us and said, hey, I really enjoyed the podcast. I found the podcast through the Instagram page that you guys run, and there has been a wealth of ideas that have been created that we hopefully will be using at WIUP. So the fact that we have people like him or even students, um, I have to give a shout out to DJ Fletch from down in Arkansas. She reached out to me and said, hey, you know, I really appreciate what you're doing and I hope, you know, I, we can collaborate and do some stuff like that. Never would have thought that we'd reach these people and I hope that we can continue to reach because as, as you know, and we all know that anything that's out there on the internet lasts forever Somebody's bound to keep it in some way or capacity. So our legacy here through this podcast is certainly going to live on. And I hope that we can continue to provide you more episodes in the future because there are a number of people who I think I'd still like to talk to down the road. And Doc, you're always up with connecting with people. I know you are. You thrive off of people. Uh, yes, I do. But I do need a summer break, Shane. As you know, we're doing a lot of traveling. Uh, I, uh, you, are, you are doing new ventures so just like a TV show, we take our summer off, right, Shane? 
Yep, we're taking our summer off, hopefully coming back bigger and better than ever for more Scholastic Transmission of College Radio podcast. Yep, time will tell. Time will tell. Now, before we go today here, Doc and Mama, is there anything else that we'd like to talk about here today on the podcast? No, I'm pretty well done. What about you, Mom? I think, I, I think I've said what I needed to say. Well, with that said, for Ralph and Judy Antonin, Doc and Mama Rock, I'm Shane Garcia. Thank you so much, as always, for listening to Scholastic Transmission, a college radio podcast. Class is dismissed.